for various reasons. Dealing with my brain is a little bit complicated. It's like, it's like there's like a, I don't know, like a classical fae living in my brain that's like, answer me these riddles three before you shall do any work tonight. And it's like, <laughs> oh, Steve, I'm just trying to get to my fucking tablet. <laughs> so... Hello, everyone. I am Blue. Today, I am joined by Red. Hello. And our producer, Indigo, who is uh, lurking off uh, in the shadows, uh, as she is wont to do, uh, mm. her, her domain. Um, <laughs> her realm, uh, as it were. Yes, uh, exactly. And welcome to another episode of the, excuse me, Overly Sarcastic <laughs> Podcast. Uh, this week, we've got uh, two fun new videos from the year to talk about. We have my uh, Three Dumb Italy Stories video, and then Red had the Folktale of the Snow Queen, uh, yeah. which is, is very cool and new. A, a brand new series for the channel. It's not, yeah. not every day that we get to have this. But uh, first things first, um, <laughs> last, uh, last time we posted an episode uh, was Wednesday, January 6th, uh, which happens to be... Uh, the day that showed us that although in 2020 we were we were used to history uh, unfolding uh, in excruciatingly slow time uh, uh, last podcast two Wednesdays ago uh, we found out just how steep shit cliff can be um, <laughs> we are by no means a news channel uh, we're not going to linger on this topic but I just thought that uh, as we're here uh, actively living through uh, some history and the date that this podcast episode goes up more will history be, uh, yeah uh, the 20th inauguration day uh. Um just thought it'd be important to take a a, a quick sec uh, to uh, acknowledge how the elephant it in the room <laughs> that a group yeah uh, a group of uh, fascist losers uh, <clears throat> threw a temper tantrum in the United States Capitol building with the intent to assault and murder members of Congress. Yep. Uh, needless to say, these crybabies are criminals who think that the only recourse to losing an election is violence, which says a lot more about them and how poorly they understand the point of democracy than it does about, you know, the people in the Capitol just trying to go do their jobs and certify a democratic election that was, you know, conducted fairly. And yeah. every single federal agency agrees. Uh, Breaking so, yeah, news, everybody. Um, uh, Nazis and Confederates, not the hugest fan of the U.S. government. If only yeah, there'd been uh, some kind of sign that we could have taken. So we could have, I don't know, stopped it before it got this far. I don't know. You know if only someone had been warning for years that... Yeah. Obviously, yeah. these people who idolize the world's like most notorious losers and also like historically worst motivated people. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah. These are like the two go to cartoon villain groups in history. And these guys are like, these guys look like the kind of person I want to model my moral philosophy on. And everyone's like, <laughs> boys will be boys. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, we are not here to uh, to talk about that. We're here to talk about our YouTube channel, but it would be disingenuous of us to not acknowledge the fact that uh, history is unfolding uh, before our eyes, uh, and it is uh, important to be uh, aware of it and to um, just, you know, talk about why it's bad. I, I think I, I've got a very <laughs> jaded perspective on this overall. It just completely throws me when people are so blindsided that the people who've been publicly and loudly modeling themselves off of the most notoriously terrible people in human history go on and do terrible things. Yeah, and obviously uh, we don't need to to make a whole thing out of this. That's not the reason that you're here for this podcast today. <laughs> but uh, as uh, people with a platform, it is important that we use that platform to uh, condemn uh, very strongly and forcefully uh, the violence and the motives behind that violence. Yep. So 
that's that. Hey, well, Moving for you, on. I mean, you know me. I'm always down to tell Nazis to fuck off. So, you know, this was like candy I mean, for me. But now let's get back <laughs> on actual track. Yeah. <laughs> Nazis fuck uh, off so and the, back to the videos. The, the first video that we had uh, for the year was, uh, speaking of Nazis, weirdly, oh. <laughs> um, I had a video about um, uh, Italian history where uh, I got on the subject of uh, Hitler loving the Vasari Corridor and not blowing it up during the Axis withdrawal from Italy, and then Mussolini's failed colonial ambitions. Uh, and then in the end of the video, I added the joke of like, I was a little surprised I veered onto fascism twice, and that video <laughs> went up the Friday after the, uh, the, the Capitol insurrection. And people were like, oh boy, blue, buddy. <laughs> 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 Timely. And I, I recorded that on you know Monday, but I wrote the script like weeks beforehand. Yeah, so, the gift uh, of prophecy but, is difficult to manage yeah. sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, um, th that was a fun video. Uh, I enjoyed making it. I The fundamental premise was like, I, I need a break. I can't do new research and take a break because research takes time. So I'm just going to phone it in and talk <laughs> about Italy. And one of the comments was like, Blue, it's it's really interesting that your like your top viewed videos are the ones where you're like just kind of joking around and not trying very hard. And I said, yeah, I try not to dally and uh, think about what implications that has for my career. Uh, but it was fun. We had a good time. It was just it, I don't usually like to be so like snarky and jaded and just not caring in the videos because it gets in the way of me trying to actually teach things. Mm. But in this video, it was like a whole year of just like, ah. I, yep. I put into one video and just got it all out then. So I sounded like I was in a lot worse shape than I actually was. Some comments were like, Blue, are you okay? Like, please take a break. And it's like, <laughs> I, I, I have rested. I, I recuperated um, it, all as well. Uh, yeah. But it was just a video that I'm glad I made because it was able to help me reset and kind of like palate cleanse to start the year. Yes. And it was... It was fun. I got to talk about Venice, Bologna, and Florence, uh, tell some stories. Uh, it was like a story that I, I heard about like nine years ago when I was on a tour in Italy with the whole, uh, the, the statue of, of the Pope not actually being the Pope. And I was like, wait a minute, I, I remember this. I have to talk about this. So I like, I, I back researched huh. and found it. And I'm like, aha, there it is. And then I just got to dunk on Napoleon, which was fun. Oh, it was, so it was good. I just got to talk about nothing in particular and yeah. just everything in general, just like, Topic to topic to topic to topic. It was it was so fun because it was so uncoordinated. And that's what I love about the hijinks series is that I can just do whatever the hell I want. And it's I have really power. good. It's great yeah. to have that option. And it's also like, you know, I, I think part of the reason those videos are so popular is because like your your energy really comes through. You are having a good time because you just <laughs> get to talk about this thing. You I mean, half the reason I started the Trope Talk series is so it would give me an excuse to gush about the shows that I was watching that I really yeah. wanted to talk to someone about. And it's like, you know, people pick up on that energy and they sort of, you know, they mirror the enthusiasm because yeah. you're having fun. So they they pick up on the fun. And that's that's good. So Yeah. And it's it's definitely a brand of like how a presenter operates that has become very popular on on YouTube in the past few years, which is just mm. a dash of chaos. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Because usually like we're, we're pretty like collected, um, like we have ourselves together, we're, we're making jokes, but it's very much from like a point of like, you know, security and like relative authority on a subject. And this is just the video where it's like, who fucking cares, man? <laughs> <laughs> Who's gonna and stop that's me? Fun. Uh, yeah, just it's that great. complete inhibition, not caring at all, just pure, you know, snark and, 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 and funsies. One of the, the things that uh, people 
uh, twigged onto, which I was a little surprised about, was when I, I said that I had written up a whole tangent about uh, the architect Andrea Palladio and how he <laughs> basically single-handedly invented the genre of neoclassicism in architecture. And I said, but I cut it because it was too long and probably only interesting to me. A lot of people are like, Blue, give us the, the Palladio cut. <laughs> Tell us about neoclassical architecture. Oh, um, boy. And I, I can say a little bit about that, but the, the, the subtext to that line was not that it was too long and I only thought it was interesting to me. It was that it was too long and I didn't feel like animating it. Ah, there it <laughs> so is. So I cut it. And it also like... it would have completely upset the balance because then the Venice section would have been like twice as long as the other ones. And I was trying to keep like, you know, keep the thing. But the the fun stuff about architecture is that for the longest time after the, the fall of Rome, we had a, a huge like whirlwind blender of different architectural styles trying to accomplish things with not a lot, like Romanesque mm. and eventually Gothic in the higher Middle Ages um, in, in parts of Italy. But neoclassicism was fairly new in the, the 1500s. But neoclassicism was a pretty big development because it had kind of been like sort of rediscovered and appreciated in the 1400s with uh, Brunelleschi, who copied classical techniques uh, in building the Duomo and other things in and around Florence. But Palladio's thing was copying the specific aesthetics. So obviously a lot of fires in Venice, um, uh, that was uh, a prime opportunity for building stuff. But uh, Andrea Palladio got his start working in the city of Vicenza, which was one of Venice's mainland uh, holdings. And in the uh, in the 14 and 1500s, they had to build up a lot of infrastructure to support these new mainland possessions that were that were part of the, the Venetian uh, Republic, the Venetian Empire. Um, the thing with uh, mainland Italy is that a lot of those cities had been kind of destroyed in the decades mm -hmm. prior during the, uh, the War of the League of Cambrai. Check out Pope Fights 3 for more on that. Um, but Palladio built this government palace uh, in the center of town, which used uh, the classical order, copying the, the methods of, of the Colosseum and the white marble aesthetic and, you know, colonnades, porticos and all kinds of cool things that we just instinctively associate with neoclassical architecture. Um, and his first building in, you know, fairly like not that important uh, Vicenza was not, you know, one of the, the big jewels of the Venetian uh, Empire. People were like, whoa. This Palladio kid's got it going on. So he he did a couple other things in Vicenza. He did one church in Venice, which was like scandalous for its day. Um, I can I can find a, a picture of it. It's a link in the show notes for anyone who cares. But um, it's it's the one church uh, on the opposite side, Judeca Island of Venice, um, San Giorgio Maggiore. Yeah, uh, that was designed by him, and it was like you know white front facade, full up neoclassical, nothing like it was done in the city before. And these Venetians were like. <gasps> But then two years later, they were like, no, wait, this shit slaps. So <laughs> Palladio basically started doing this neoclassical thing. And other people were kind of like working on it. There was another guy uh, who designed the uh, the library of, of uh, St. Mark um, or uh, Marciano Library uh, in St. Mark Square. Um, and, and he had you know some stuff that was his own thing. But Palladio was like the guy who got everyone to realize, wait a minute, we can copy these things. <laughs> we can do the classical thing again. Oh, it'll be great. Uh, and then <laughs> well, he kind of spearheaded this, 
Yeah, spearheaded this movement of um, readopting ancient styles and aesthetics in addition to uh, their construction techniques. Uh, so uh, building off of what Brunelleschi was up to and then uh, turning into the aesthetic that we all know and love. So, you know, Washington, D.C. is, you know, neoclassical to Helen back, and that's all building off of um, Palladian uh, styles of architecture. So his work is rad. If you want to see, like, the the crucible of uh, neoclassicism go to the city of Vicenza because it's just all 1500s Palladian architecture and it is gorgeous. So uh, that's the extended version of the neoclassicism uh, rant. It's a lot easier to talk about it and not animate it. <laughs> I have a quick question. Um, yeah. As a person with next to no understanding of architecture at all, how would you like sum up the visual clues that a building you're looking at is neoclassical as opposed to something else? Like uh, If it looks columns? like someone ripped it out of Greece, yeah. Uh, okay. White columns, marble, intricate carvings, uh, large pieces of, um, you know, marble stone as opposed to gotcha. uh, bricks or, or limestone slabs. Um, just really grand styles of um, of, like, exaggerated ancient... Greek and Roman looking things. Okay. So, so like classical, uh, but House. again, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. So White House, um, you know, Capitol building, Supreme Court, all of those things uh, are uh, hallmarks of, of neoclassicism. I'm trying to think of other examples within, there's not a lot in Florence. Um, there's some stuff in Rome, uh, like Trevi Fountain is Baroque, but that's building off of neoclassical. Um, uh -oh. So yeah, if, if it looks <laughs> so white, marbly, curly columns, it's neoclassical. How, how would you... Uh... How would you define Baroque for someone who doesn't know what architecture means? Baroque is neoclassical, but frillier. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a subcategory. Baroque is a subcategory of neoclassical, but we are, we are getting out into the weeds here. The, the architecture is very complicated and the line of where one style stops and another begins is kind of a pain in the ass. And that's another reason I didn't want to get too far into this because it opens up a can of worms <laughs> that requires a lot of context. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I think I will, will cap it there, Red, unless you have any other questions about classical no, architecture good. or the video in general. Part, well, I mean, the video was hilarious. Uh, it was very good. And it, I don't know, it's just really fun to see you get so enthusiastic about this because yeah I, I know this stuff is your jam and it, it's fun that you get a chance to talk about it um, yeah yeah so uh, my video in the last couple weeks uh, actually last week was uh, the snow queen and uh, I, I'm kind of spawning off a new little it's not that different from you know the classics the the myths that, that I've already been covering but I thought it was important to categorize out that uh, fables and folklore and stuff are eh, there's overlap but I wouldn't qualify it as the same thing as a myth. So I didn't want to call it a myth because that would lead people to be like, oh, has it got like ancient pagan origins? And it's like, no, it was written by like a like a, a guy in, in like 18 something. <laughs> so it's it's not that ancient. But yeah, the, uh, the Snow Queen video went over really well. Uh, yeah. It might have actually outperformed uh, Journey to the West. <laughs> I haven't Slightly. checked that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, um, I don't know, people, I, I'd like to assume it's because people really liked uh, all the pretty, pretty drawings and the the aurora effect and oh, stuff like yeah. that. Oh yeah, I mean the the thumbnails always kind of sell the video, but the that one with just the the, the winter scene was really really cool. Yeah. Um, I I think also just as the start of a new series, you did a really good job of explaining like okay, what is the difference um, mm. between folklore and mythology, and then we also kind of have legends summarized in there, which which makes it a little a little more complicated. Yeah. Um, but we, we make it work. Yeah. Um, I think you did a good job of of setting out the difference of like folklore is a much more present type of culture that is still kind of 
in a little bit of flux, whereas mythology mm. is older. And even people can riff on mythology. That's that's you know what what Dante did. Uh, yep. But mythology is fundamentally like this is coming from a culture that we don't inhabit anymore. Mm-hmm. Whereas like that kind of old timey like Scandinavian Germanic culture that inspired you know the Brothers Grimm myths like. That's still out there, but no one's, you know, out in the hills of, of Attica uh, talking about, uh, you know, the Greek gods and stuff anymore. Um, yeah. It's it, it, it kind of, you know, came and went. Um, there's so, there's always yeah. a there's a disconnect. Like there's been a lot of, you know, neo-pagan revivals of various older things, but like it's a revival. It's not a, a, a connected through line. Exactly. So um, anyway, it's a it's a difficult definition. And, and I, I'm not 100 percent happy with uh, the one I ended up giving because. I tend to um, I tend to take a kind of mathematical approach to the definitions I put in videos. I try to make them axiomatic and I try to make them bulletproof, uh, like fully logically correct. You can come at it from any angle and it makes sense. But this is kind of a woofy space where it's like, does this feel more like a myth or a folktale? And you know, it's you can bring up examples or counterexamples where it's like, well, I, I'd classify yeah. this as that, and a lot of it is subjective. And but you know, that that's not really the point. I, I think it was important to just kind of. Um, that this was different than what I'd been covering and why and how. Uh, yeah, and and even if some topics are like, you can kind of slice it as a folktale or a myth, the fact that now you have this this version of the show that's like, you know, fables and folktales, mm-hmm. that opens up a lot of other things that definitely yep. wouldn't fit into the umbrella of, exactly. of just myths. So I think it's cool. And you're opening up new horizons that I'm excited to see what the rest of them are. Yeah. Uh, but even this first outing was, was really cool. It's kind of funny because the snow queen doesn't really do all that much in no, the story, but no, she doesn't. Um, it's, it, it's a very fairy tale feeling fairy tale. Like it is. Yeah. If, if they made that instead of the plot of frozen, like it would, it would feel right at home. That was like one of the main themes in the, co- okay. There were two main themes in the comments. One of them was, holy shit. Why didn't they put any of this stuff in Frozen? Why did they just do the Frozen Heart thing? What are they doing? And then the other one was, how dare you tell me not to follow beautiful women into blizzards? I'll die how I want. And it's like, you know what? Uh, respect. You know, at least you know what you want. Um, we have like three myths where that's the plot line. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's kind of a th- uh, thread throughout like Japanese folklore. There's there's several demons that are basically just hot women out in the snow. It's it's a lot. Um but yeah, no, that, that video went over really well. Uh, people had a, a good time with it, which I thought was very nice because, you know, it, it was a bit experimental, but people tend to like the uh, the longer, more complexly illustrated videos. And I, I'm glad people liked it. Uh, but there was actually something interesting that happened um, in the uh, Discord discussion about the video. Uh, obviously, there were a lot of people talking about the myth and how interesting it was and like the demon mirror and co- that concept and how weird it is that that hasn't showed up in more stuff. And uh <laughs> One of our mods uh, offhandedly mentioned a thing about a video from mid-2019, the Rainbow Crow video I did. (laughs) And uh, it's not a real myth. (laughs) And apparently this was common knowledge in the Discord, and I didn't know. (laughs) Like, this is just a conversation they've been having about it. Uh, The myth uh, was attributed to the Lenape people, but it's not one of their stories. And... um, in one of the resources I linked in the description of that video, there's actually a page about why it's not a real myth. <laughs> so probably should have read that more carefully. Uh, I, I've amended that video to like include an explanation because I was like, oh God, should I should I like take it down? I don't want to spread misinformation. And then I was like, oh no, but this video, it's it's pretty much the most highly viewed video about this subject on YouTube. <laughs> so if I take it down, it's not like anyone's going to learn that I was wrong. They're just going to not 
see it anymore. <laughs> so I, I thought it was more important to leave it up. But I mean, this is really just like, it, it, it opened up an interesting conversation about what does it mean for a myth to be real? Uh, yeah. Because a lot of people were like, oh, as opposed to all those other myths that totally happen. And it's like, it's not about totally happened. It's about whose story is this? And I, I yeah. falsely attributed it to this group that already has enough trouble <laughs> being culturally erased. And I, I, I hate that I contributed to that. But, um, you know, that this is... This is a difficult space. And a few people were like, well, really, all that means is it's a new myth. And it's like, no, <laughs> it means that somebody <laughs> made this up for clout. And I don't know, like you can make up new fables. That was kind of the whole thesis of the thing. It's like the Snow Queen doesn't have any roots in ancient pagan stuff unless you really, really stretch what it means to be derived from ancient pagan stuff. But it's a new story, but it wasn't claiming to be an older story. And that's, I think, the difference. This is like it's like there's no law against painting. But forging is generally considered to be a crime. <laughs> you yeah, know, I, I, misattributing the art is the problem. It's, it's like yeah. the, the Rainbow Crow story is a fine story all on its own, but it's not a Lenape myth. And I have now found some actual, more interesting, actually Lenape myths that I might be covering in future <laughs> to give me an excuse to bring this up again and talk about a very interesting one that I found about some stars, because you guys know how much I love star myths. But suffice to say... Humbling moment <laughs> reminded me to always triple check my sources for uh, for uh, primariness and all that jazz. I I think it's it's an example within the the folktale space in particular of like what what's a myth, what's a folktale of of how when dealing with cultures that are still around, mm -hmm. um, it, it's a lot trickier of a space as opposed to you know oh, this story was written 2,000 years ago and the people who wrote it have been gone for 1,000 years or, or whatever it is, yeah. you know, with ancient Greeks the, and stuff. It's, yeah. it's fundamentally a much more complicated thing to unpack and work with and retell when it's, it's part of a living culture because right. um, even with mythology, like every, every telling modifies the culture in a way think of, of how you know different people's understanding of mythology is now because of like percy jackson and stuff like that mm -hmm, it, even mm -hmm. if it's not changing the source material it changes how people approach it so it is a much more dynamic framework and a more dynamic arena to be in than the the more like clear-cut like here is norse mythology as written in the poetic edda let's yeah, go um, I, um it, it's, a, it's a much trickier space and it requires uh, a lot more a lot more oversight, uh, and that's why it's more complicated, so... Um, yeah, I actually, I yeah. wanted to bring up, um, there's, and I'll, I'll try and keep this short, it's just, there's this very tricky space where it's like, there's a, there's a space of mythology where it's like, this is, you know, these cultures have been functionally gone for ages and ages, and then there's a space where it's like, well, these cultures aren't gone, but a lot of people like to pretend they are, um, and there's this complex question that a lot of people kind of struggle with, of like, are you allowed to retell the stories from cultures in the second group and that varies significantly from each culture to each culture a lot of them have closed cultures where it's like no you really shouldn't but a lot of them are like no yeah this is a story i shared so you can tell it and this is complicated because obviously a lot of the channel is like kind of dedicated to teaching people about stuff they might not have already known and for a lot of those cultures that are being actively erased i think it is very important for people to know more about them but the question is like what's helpful and what's overstepping and and what's uh what's you know moving out of your lane and and covering up somebody else who might be doing your work for sorry i phrased that really weirdly but you, you know what i mean it's like yeah it, this is a very complicated space where it's like you want to be helpful and you want to be respectful and it's hard to tell if you're doing one or the other 
but I can say with certainty that confidently retelling a myth that isn't from a culture and being like, you're welcome, everybody. Very bad. Very, very not good on my part. So I'll try and be better in the future, but this is, this is a very weird space. Um, and uh, I, I wish it had a clean mathematical answer because that would make a lot of my job much easier. And on my side of things, that's why I don't like talking about things that happened after 1900. Mm -hmm. People still remember that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's so a weird space. Shall here. we move on to the uh, the second half of the podcast and get into some uh, fan Q&A? Yeah, let's do it. Hell yeah. Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, where we answer fan questions from you guys, the lovely listeners, all through our Ask OS Pod channel on Discord, then funneled onto the podcast, where we then read them aloud and discuss them, often at much longer lengths than anticipated. But hey, it's a win for you guys. <laughs> Time heist. <laughs> Time heist. Uh, this, first, this first question comes from one of our patrons, uh, if you want to support the podcast, support the channel, head on over to Patreon, get some cool content, hang out with the cool folks over there, and have a chance for your question to be the first one read on the podcast. This question comes from Deadly Jelly Baby. All, if you had to swap places with one historical figure, which would you choose? They would also take your place in the present. So this is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 Turtles in Time school of uh, historical time travel, <laughs> where we're going to swap. Oh. <laughs> the plot of that movie is that, the, uh, to summarize it very quickly, is that the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh -huh. uh, through the power of a magic lantern, swap places in time with samurai from feudal Japan. Uh, and what? typical turtle hijinks ensue. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about well, that another time. I mean... <laughs> Missed opportunity to not have them swap places with the Renaissance artists for which they are named. Yes. Uh, also, famously, in kind of pop culture, ninjas and samurai, arch nemeses. So really unfortunate yeah. swap. It's not addressed in the movie at all, which feels like an oversight on the writer's <laughs> part. But yeah, we don't need to get into uh, the Teenage Mutant Turtles, Turtles in Time. The I'm sure fan Turtle fiction movies. has filled the gap. Don't <laughs> <Yes>. worry. <laughs> yeah. But if you had to swap, oh, that's a right. tough one because taking the place of one person in history is is a loaded enough question because usually the the people who are you know interesting enough to have gotten written about had to go through some junk. Yeah, uh, they didn't have the happiest lives. The ones who like seemingly like everything worked out in their favor, like. For instance, if I were to say that I, want, that I would want to switch places with Alcibiades because that sounds like a party, I do mm. not want to inflict Alcibiades on the year of our Lord 2021. <laughs> it's bad enough. I kind of think that that's exactly what we need, though, in some ways. I, oh, I have a cop-out answer. Um, they, they found those, like, ancient fossilized footprints of, like, an adolescent kid and their proto-dog walking Ooh. to a place and exploring a cave and then coming back. Uh, so I want to be that guy. I want to take that guy's dog. <laughs> um. Amazing. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah. I think the key part of considering this question is what benefit would a historical figure in the present day have if they had to do my life? So, like, what... Mm. I work in a very tech-heavy space, so you got to pick someone who's going <laughs> to be able to adapt to podcasting, for example. 
So maybe yeah. like a radio personality, although I don't have any off the top of my head on that. Or go just all the way. I think having Shakespeare, uh, first of all, I would love to be involved in the theater scene of London. But also, I think um, having maybe Shakespeare run the OS pod for a day would just be really, really entertaining. (laughs) Very surreal. Yes. I feel like the problem is, like, I can't think of a historical figure who would want to do my job. It's like, (laughs) I love doing it, but I'm very, very strange by most human standards. So, you know. It's like, you're going to need to keep odd hours, and I need you to draw this comic, and I need you to animate these videos. And uh, you got to get through my coffee supply, and they're just like, hmm, okay. Or you I could do literally like an anything extremely else. complex interview process for like, so you want to replace us on OSP, huh? <laughs> like we, what we are your qualifications, Mr. Caesar, <laughs> was it? <laughs> No, we we go through time leaving like little drop boxes where people can fill out applications and then we time travel back and pick them up and then sort through the apps. <laughs> time Heist 3, the B side. Oh gosh. Ugh. Oh man. Hmm. It's no, it's called Heist Time. It's just backwards. Oh. <laughs> no, that that's like the that's the made for TV like ripoff version. Ah, oh, damn it. Yeah. All right, Cinemax next question. <laughs> yes. Well, Wait, we considered... uh, I answered it. Did anyone else answer? I mean, I'm gonna... I, I do kind of stand by Alcibiades, though. Yeah, I'm going uh, okay. <laughs> to go with Shakespeare. I feel like Alcibiades, Shakespeare, and uh, the guy who has a dog way back when are pretty solid <laughs> picks across the board. Um, this next question comes from Crystal Rhythm to OSP. In the last pod, or a few pods ago, I'm reading this question late, you mentioned that you choose your sponsors carefully. Why did you start doing that, and how do you pick sponsors now? Please help out some aspiring YouTubers. Ah, that recontextualizes the question a bit. Um, Uh, Uh, It's it's a tricky process because it's different for a lot of people. Um, Mm -hmm. For like the Trope Talk sponsorships that we have, we work with the companies directly. So like Campfire, World Anvil, uh, Magnus Archives, like we just email back and forth with them and then coordinate that like to each other. But for the bigger companies like, you know, Audible, Squarespace, Skillshare, all the other ones, um, those are usually handled through um, intermediary marketing companies um, that like their whole thing is like Audible sends out standards for like, okay, here's what I want in my YouTube sponsorships. You, company, go and find some for me. And then they just handle all the rest. So that usually is a more tricky process because the idea for them is like, oh, I will work with this company now and then they will give me all of the sponsorships. And that has its benefits, it has its downsides. Um, If you're part of a multi-channel network, they will do all that for you, which is good if you want a lot of sponsorships, but then you have basically no control over which ones you pick. Um, Yeah, I think think the question was how did we choose mm -hmm. like what sponsors we take on? Yeah. Um, And that that depends, that depends case by case. Like, when we started out, it was a lot more like, oh, my God, people want to sponsor us? Heck, yeah. Yeah. Um, Like, there's a few early videos that are, like, sponsored by individual people who, like, want to promote books. And that was really very cool. We don't really do that anymore because it's it's not sustainable. (laughs) Um, Exactly. It's, It's like, it's one of them there, oh, too much of a good thing problems, you know? It's like... It's very, very cool that you're doing this, but we actually cannot do that because we. It would be fair if we did it for this and not that, and it's it's complicated. It's really like a case by case, you know, own better judgment thing in those cases. Uh, and then on the other side of things, sometimes like we get form letters from these like massive like faceless corporations that are like, "Hello, insert name here. Would you like to promote our mobile game?" And it's like, mm, "No, gracias." Uh, mostly, what we seem to do is um. 
we kind of take a look and see like, is there audience overlap? Will our audience actually like and appreciate this thing that you're trying to get us to promote? So yeah. it's like, okay, so, you know, World Anvil and Campfire, it's like, these are writing softwares. Trope Talk is apparently quite appreciated as a resource by writers, which is terrifying. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, there's, there's significant overlap there. And it's like, we don't tend to put sponsorships on like the myth videos because there's, I mean, topically, not much in common. It's like, unless a museum wants to sponsor me or something, is reach out, I'm totally amenable. But you know, it's like, the, other than that, there's not really that much topical overlap. And we, we try and keep things thematic because otherwise the ad ends up being kind of disruptive. And a big factor is we don't want the video to be like disrupted rhythm wise. You know, yeah. we want to keep things unobtrusive and in line with the general schema of what's going on. And yeah, also the, if the video is too short, we can't put a promo on it because then it's like it's like two thirds video and then one third other junk, and it's like. Mm. Yeah, there there are a lot of like you know micro and macro considerations that go into how it works, and I don't want to I don't want to dally on it too long, but mm. um, there was a period when we were first like figuring out how to do sponsorships where we were kind of like you know if we got an offer for something and it sounded cool, it's like yeah sure fine we we don't really do a lot of sponsorships. This is great. It's it's yep. you know it's new revenues before we really established our our, our Patreon or or you know our merch operations were, were all that big. So mm -hmm. um, it was um, a process of figuring out like what's either relevant to the topic of the video or what could be helpful to students. So um, when yeah. we used to do like Audible sponsorships, um, you know, Squarespace is great for professionals. We use it ourselves, great service. Um, yep. there's, there's kind of a suite of products that get sponsored on YouTube, a lot of products and services that, that are geared towards helping people who are either students or like recent graduates, young professionals. And those are great because it, it's it's helpful to our audience in a way that's not just like, let's tell you about some earphones and mattresses. It's like, that, yeah. that, that's fine, but uh, why, are, why are we telling you about that? Um, yeah. there, there's some stuff about, um, uh, what was I gonna say? Um, well, while you figure that out, I wanted to say, uh, for us at least, uh, I think we kind of really wanted to make sure that people who come to our channel know what they're getting, you know, like tonal consistency, at least on my end is very important. So it's like, okay, you come here and you're going to get snarky educational content about the stuff we talk about and sometimes media, if I'm feeling especially sassy today. Um, and that includes like, if you come here, you're probably not expecting to get blindsided by like this mobile game, woo. Uh, yeah. And we especially don't really put ads in the first part of the video. They, they always go mm. at the end, except the one time that I signed on to an ad deal that uh, they later informed me had to go in the first part of the video. And yeah. I was very upset about that, but yeah. I could not do anything about it. And I've never done an ad for a game again. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of a factor. I, and I'm because you asked about starting out and, th you know, these are considerations that we've kind of developed through a process of trial and error. But at this point, it's like if this is annoying and frustrating and disruptive, we, we don't want to do it again. So yeah. we, there are things kind of. It's not like a blacklist, but things kind of get like, eh, it's nah, let's just not. Um, but you know that we are in a position where it's like the channel is established. We've got a lot of other sources of revenue and stuff like that. So for a lot of people, it's like sponsorships, especially with the way YouTube's monetization has been going, they are the way that you pay rent. And yeah. if that's the situation, then the considerations are different. Like for us, we, we can prioritize tonal consistency across the channel when we're selecting sponsorships 
But that is not necessarily the case for everybody, and it might not be yeah. the first thing you want to prioritize when you're getting your channel off the ground. Yeah, so. and, and we're very lucky that we have um, uh, you know consistent monetization. We, we don't get demonetized almost ever. Um, mm. We have a very strong and supportive community on Patreon, which is great, and it's basically yep. the backbone of the channel because even if YouTube was to just turn off all the AdSense overnight, which is what happened last April, um, <laughs> we're still fine. Uh, and then there's, there's merchandise, which, hey, buy pins uh, because that's apparently <laughs> all we need. Um, yeah, so wow. Not, not to like dig into our financials or anything, but we are in a position where we get to be very selective, which is unfortunately not a position that a lot of creators are in. So whenever people take ads for, I'll say it, Raid Shadow Legends, Part of me is like, really, you had to do that? And the other part of me is like, well, you know, shit, I guess maybe that was your only choice because they pay a stupid amount of money. And, you know, at some level, I get it. And I'm glad that we don't have to do that. But I, I feel bad that a lot of people have to basically choose between either I take the sponsorship or I cannot make YouTube videos. And that's a tough space to be in. So we definitely have yep. sympathy for a lot of the people who are trying to figure it out. Um, we were very lucky through the process, um, but yeah. we are happy to be working on very high standards of, of selectivity of what makes sense for us, what makes sense for our audience, what makes sense for our videos. So. Yeah. I just want to give props to Raid Shadow Legends, not because I think the game is good, I've never played it and don't particularly want to, but I really respect that they do send out ad sponsorships to a lot of channels that are probably kind of like too small to get sponsorships from a lot of places and pay really well for them. Like, that is actually very, very admirable, uh, just company-wise. It's like, you guys clearly have an advertising budget that like, Either you've got like a secret base on the moon or it's like a massive money laundering operation or something, but either way you're supporting small creators and I think that is admirable even though I will not play your weird skeleton game. So that's uh, that's my two cents on that. Yes, and- It's the first and last nice thing you'll hear us say about Raid Shadow Legends. <laughs> I, you know, yeah. And, and if anyone Probably. if anyone from Lucky Brand Jeans is listening, we are open to a Lucky Brand Jeans sponsorship Hit spot. Us <laughs> DM me on Twitter, we can talk about it. Maybe that'll be our only advertiser on the podcast. I know I said tonal in- tonal consistency was very important, but I'm willing to bend my standards for those sweet stretchy jeans. Only no, because but red. I mean, it is consistent. We talk about it all the fucking time. I'm wearing so them much. right now. Oh. oh, I'm in yoga pants, but jeans would be my second choice. And if you had to pick jeans they'd be lucky brand all right let's move on to the next question <laughs> see we'll shield for you for free <laughs> that's why I think maybe that's why they won't sponsor us <laughs> oh no oh no to. they don't need to we gotta play hard to get <laughs> oh man this next question comes from technician cake to both red blue and indigo oh thank you what is your both? favorite snack while working on videos and or content um Ooh. i'm a big popcorn mm, person yeah oh. <laughs> yes <laughs> I recently got one of those like microwavable like popcorn bowls mm. that like it like it's collapsible and then it like pops the popcorn perfectly into a bowl. It's like so good. Uh, so I've been eating a lot more popcorn lately too. Oh, I nice. assume it's healthy on account of it being a vegetable. Yeah, right. Uh, Checks out. <laughs> at least well, a let grain. me let me check something real quick. I have to check the the brand of snack that this is. I'll be back in a second. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh well, other than that, um I, I don't tend to do much snacking while I work because I tend to work in like 10 hour blocks. So it's less snack and more meal. Okay, um. so it's this this uh, this chocolate called Awake Caffeinated Chocolate. Oh. They're these little like owl shaped chocolate guys that have half Ooh. a cup of coffee's worth of caffeine. I have huh. uh, like a 50 box full 
of mint and peanut butter ones. And like in the morning, I'll just like sometimes have one and then kind of like go, go, go for the rest of the day. It's not a lot of caffeine because it's only half a cup of coffee, but like I treat it like the, the fucking NZT pill in Limitless where it's like, okay, if I take this, I have to like really commit to doing work because I don't want to like waste it on just like watching YouTube videos and screwing around. So it's like, I gotta do this. So um, but yeah, uh, sometimes in the mornings, I'll just pop a little caffeine chocolate and and get to work. Uh, so I had, I tried, tasty too. <laughs> I tried those chocolates for a while back in college, but I had the problem of like, oh it's chocolate so i just want to keep eating it so then i would be oh, no. way too caffeinated going <laughs> and on like a little bit of a sugar high because i just consumed like an entire chocolate bar so it's used with caution uh, yeah. no my my the trick is sh- i yeah. eat half and then i eat the second half like half an hour later you have um so it kind of spaces it out a little bit <laughs> hmm. That's interesting. I, as mentioned, I, I don't tend to snack while I work, but I do make like drinks. Um, mm. I started off just doing tea because it was easy, but recently it's been like, okay, I need to take a work break. I'm going to go do something complicated. So, you know, I've talked about my love for Dalgona coffee and that's mostly like half of that is the process. I'm not like, the hugest fan of bitter things. So the fact that I drink coffee is more habit than anything else. And <laughs> the caffeine angle, it doesn't really do that much to me. It doesn't like wake me up. And it doesn't particularly seem to make me more productive, although that jury's still out on that one. Um, <laughs> it's just something for me to do, and it, it gives me something to focus on other than my work, which actually helps me stay focused on the work for various reasons. Dealing with my brain is a little bit complicated. It's like, it's like there's like a, I don't know, like a classical fae living in my brain that's like, <laughs> answer me these riddles three before you shall do any work tonight. And it's like, oh, Steve, I'm just trying to get to my fucking tablet. <laughs> so... Caffeine plies him for a while sometimes. I, I did an experiment on Twitter a while back where I drank like a whole thing of Dalgona, which uh, you make it with two tablespoons of instant coffee. Hmm. I believe normally you are supposed to use one teaspoon in a cup. So it's oh, basically okay. six cups of coffee's worth and one thing of foam. Uh, and I was like, I can't wait to see what happens. And what happened is I had a, a fairly normal productive night and then I got to bed at my normal hour of 4 a.m. So... <laughs> That was fairly anticlimactic, but <laughs> I mean, it worked. So what, who am I to who am I to complain that I finally got Steve to settle the fuck down and let me do my work? It's like with six cups of coffee's worth, if your heart doesn't explode, you kind of feel ripped off. <laughs> I mean, that's what you'd think, but like, if anything, the only thing that seems to get me when I do that is the sugar. Like, yeah. I um for ages I was trying to figure out. Like, I would drink Starbucks, and then I would be like, hmm, random shooting chest pains. Those are probably fine. <laughs> I looked it up, and apparently that is, like, a fairly common thing, like, for people who drink caffeine, but there's no known reason. And then I would, like, drink coffee without sugar in it, and it just wouldn't do anything to me, up to and including the random jitters. So I think it's just the sugar. Yeah. Which right. was... Can I tell the, the Snapple story from Yosemite? Oh, Christ. Yes, you can tell the Snapple story. <laughs> I, I've told this on stream before, so it's okay. And, and Reggie, mm. you were there, too. Um, but, uh, of course uh, I was there. Well, no, but when I was telling it. <laughs> oh, yes, I was yeah. there for that, too. Um, basically, for anyone who doesn't know, I'll, I'll tell it quick. Uh, Red and I, uh, before our senior year of high school, we went on a school trip uh, with some of our friends um, to Yosemite National Park. And oh, yeah. we had a great time. We didn't consume any sugar for the entire week that we were there because we were... And we were at high altitudes, and so we were low at high oxygen. Altitudes, we were in the woods. Um, and on the, the night that we were supposed to leave, we were flying out from uh, San Francisco airport and our flight got delayed yep. by like four hours because the crew was like, what, like driving from LA and they got stuck or some nonsense. But I think we, it was seven hours total. In the, we, yeah, it, it took a really long time. We camped out in the like food court and Red got one Snapple just one yep. regular ass Snapple. 
and regular basically got drunk off of it, it because the, think, the shock of yeah. that much sugar after a week of nothing plus the sleep depth because it was like 11 at this point. Um, it was pretty it just, late and we it was up early. really funny. I mean, it was very weird to experience because <laughs> I was like, what's happening to me? But yeah, it was. Um, And later it was like, there's barely even any caffeine in this. It has to be the sugar. Oh, my God. So, yeah, it's um, caffeine. No effect on me. Sugar, kryptonite. Uh, that's what we've learned today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it was hilarious. Anyway, it was question. very funny. It. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Moving sharp turn away from the uh, caffeine discussion. Ren the Fox asks, to all, if you could have a mythical animal for a pet, what would it be? For example, a dragon, unicorn, or griffin. Um, I mean, oh. just immediately off the bat, tiny dragon would be so cool. <laughs> yeah, See, that'd be pretty oh, great. I mean, my brain went Kerberos, but then I was like, wait, dragon would let me fly. Ah, oh, so worth it. So, you know, torn. Oh, um, oh. Hmm. I guess if it's a mythical mm. animal, you could just say it's Kerberos, but with wings on them. I, I'm not trying to homebrew anything here. <laughs> we're, we're playing in the rules, man. Um, you know that meme that's just three little white puppies, and it's like, um, the, it's it's their head sticking out of like a hole yep. in a fence, so it looks like a three-headed dog, and it's like Cerberus uh -huh. is a puppy guarding the gates to heck. I just want <laughs> that dog that's just a little Cerberus <laughs> with, with three tiny little puppy heads. That's Get it. That that's dog. all I want. I think the key here oh, is dude, that like I... tiny versions of mythical creatures, right? Like yes, yes, up the cute factor. I, I was um, I was reading through oh, which which one? It might have been the Theogony. It it was one of the like like Homeric era Greek texts, and it actually mentioned a fun thing about Kerberos. Uh, which is his whole deal is actually like when you come to Hades, he's all fawning and loving and adorable, but it's when you try to leave that he devours you. And it's like, so I won't leave. Problem <laughs> solved. Dog I've forever. accepted death. Let the dog love me. Uh, oh, that's good. So I, I thought that was delightful that it's canon that Kerberos is a total lap dog and I love it. That's great. I, I need to play the, the game Hades just yes! to pet Kerberos. We yes. need to play Hades on stream, man. I, we I'm gotta. I'm so behind on video games there were a lot of that of there were a lot of games that came out last year so <laughs> and a lot of things happened but yeah yeah, yeah. no exactly. I, I think that should be the project for the year we stream hades we we appreciate that sweet art and quality voice acting and all the cute little nods to stuff and i making die Patrick a lot. canon i think <laughs> oh I'm i mean that is the whole games. point <laughs> no that's the whole point of hades you die and then you die again but the point is canonically <laughs> that's that's I what's mean, happening yeah nobody like, actually stays dead Hollow Knight, but when we streamed it it was still deeply embarrassing for well me no 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 like 40 tries to beat Hornet the first time. In Hollow Knight, it's like the point, when people say the point of Hollow Knight is you die, is like, the point of Hollow Knight is it's hard. That's the same thing as saying like in Dark Souls, the point is you die a lot. But this is like in Hades, the, the actual canonical point is that you die a lot. Everyone dies a lot. Everyone's immortal. They just respawn. Yeah. You're fighting like the same guys on every run, but they're all like, oh, hey, Zag, making another run for it? All right, let's do this. <laughs> and like every time you die, you respawn in the blood pool. And it's like, mother fucker all right one more time bitches <laughs> like that's the whole point it's actual it's, it's it's good game design it's brilliantly integrating just the the loop of dying and trying again into no that is canonically what zagreus has been doing for his entire rebellious teenage years <laughs> and that's great yeah. so we should definitely play it and talk about it a lot because that game is really good. Yes. Yeah. Let this be a note to anyone out there who asks and ask os pod for us to stream particular games uh we do see them and we are 
thinking about games at times. It's just yeah, yeah. It takes it a while takes for a while. us to get the ball rolling. <laughs> yeah. We uh, we try and make sure that they work the first time, and then they never do, and then we run damage control and. We always do our best preparing for things, but you can never really prepare fully for anything. There's always a certain amount of scrambling at the last minute, so, you know, we, we yeah. try and minimize that. The the difficulty in planning live streams is that I have to kind of plan around my work schedule because Red is, is often very able to, like, carve out time, and it's okay because, Red, you work mm. very far in advance on your videos. I'm, like, yep. scrambling the week or two before to get things done on time, uh, especially after I took two weeks off at the end of December. I'm like, fuck, 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 fuck. Uh, so I wanted <laughs> to start streaming this year. Haven't gotten to that yet uh, because I'm playing catch up still, uh, but hopefully we'll have some streams uh, soon. The, the one that I want to start on is uh, Immortals yes. uh, Phoenix Rising because yes, 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 it's yes, fun. Yes. It's Greek mythology. It's just oh. a, a great time and it's a game I'm familiar with. So don't have to worry about like uh, sucking at it. Yes. Blue got me hooked on that used. game last week and I am. <sighs> we got We got to talk about it after the pod because, oh, baby, this yep. game is yep. good. Um, <laughs> it's so fun. But moving it's on. It's so dumb and it's so fun it's and it's so fun dumb. because it's dumb. It's so That's dumb and it's so fun. I truly, truly love it. Um, but we should move on since we have s- jumped ship from the topic of uh, mythical creatures we would have as pets yes. <laughs> to this next question. Oh, yeah. Lert- yeah. <laughs> Kerberos, tiny dragons, etc. Lots of good stuff coming at you. Um, this next question is from Kreisler, the truth watcher. You open up a themed coffee shop. What's the theme, and what is it like being inside the shop? Uh, hmm. I feel like the theme would probably have to be, like, a library coffee shop or yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, there, uh, I've cool. been to a couple board game uh, coffee shops or, like, you know, board game bars or stuff like that where they just have, like, a huge wall of games, and then you, like, get a table, you order stuff, and then you can just, like, play for two hours. Uh, those are so much fun. Uh, I Red, love we actually coffee went shop. to one uh, yeah. in last time we were uh, in downtown New York. Uh, and that was really great. That place ruled. I yeah. love I love any coffee shop that doesn't make you feel unwelcome. Like, you know, mm-hmm. with enough seating and I how many coffee shops have I been in where it's like there aren't even chairs. <laughs> There's just like a place to lean on and then you're supposed to get out. And it's like, do you want me to buy your coffee or not? <laughs> so any coffee shop that lets you hang out, you know, the board game thing, definitely, the library thing, definitely. Like how genius would that be? A library that also feeds you. I'd never leave. <laughs> Just <laughs> yeah, do that. No, you have to cordon off like where the books are and where like the, the drinks and mm-hmm. stuff are. Right. But yeah. it, it would be okay. It would work. Uh, yes, that's that's the answer is is library coffee shop. You guys went in a very different direction than my mind immediately jumped to. Uh, I was thinking, you know, obviously we want to have some cats in there, make it a cat cafe because why not? <laughs> yeah. But also like it's a theme, right? So so we need to really go in on something that people are going to either be immediately into and appeal to a niche population, but also if you walk in off the street expecting just a normal coffee shop, you get completely blindsided, which is why my coffee shop pitch is entirely based on every uh, movie in Nicolas Cage's discography. So all of the baristas are dressed as different Nicolas Cage characters. You got Ghost Rider, you got Spider Noir, all of the beverages are different... Um, puns based on the names like I'm trying to think of a good con air pun and it's not coming to me or like a like, Do the cats still factor into this or I, I just think it'd be neat draft? to have them around you know okay <laughs> <laughs> they make everything better um uh, maybe well he was in the movie primal um which involved like poaching and there was somehow like a white panther or something in it i don't really remember the details of it i've watched it in a haze but uh I, all the cats mm. could be t- theoretically from the movie primal i, I just think you know okay. 
go all in on the wildness. This seems like the kind of thing that you'd find at like like a Disney Springs or something. It's like an yeah. LA pop-up shop that's only open for like three months and then it closes forever, but you see it on like Instagram for the next four years. It's like that kind yeah. of that again. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. See, when you were saying, like, cat coffee shop, I was like, oh, man, once it's possible, we should go to Japan because I'm about to blow your mind. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> when I was in Shanghai, we went to a corgi cafe, which is very similar. Oh, Not Nicolas okay. Cage related, but just, like, oh. a bunch of corgis and, a, like, corgi-themed treats. And then you, know, you pay to get in and, like, buy your drink or whatever. And then you could just hang out with the dogs for however long you wanted. Um, obviously, This is going to kill me. I swear to God, I haven't pet a dog since 2019. <laughs> we have to stop having dog questions. <laughs> Oh, okay, well, we'll move on. We'll move on from the from the Corgi Cafe uh, for one last question before we head out today. Uh, let me just scroll down my ever-growing list of questions to find a good one. <laughs> not dogs, not dogs. Not, not dogs, dogs, not okay. dogs. <laughs> so there's so many dog questions on this list. <laughs> what were the odds? Oh, oh, my God. This last question is from Excessively Cynical Productions. What kinds of music do you guys enjoy? Any specific genres or artists? Okay, First off, I'm going to sue out. you for IP theft. Uh, <laughs> hey. <laughs> Didn't you read? It says excessively cynical. That's totally distinct. Ah, damn it. <laughs> it's a thinly well, no, they're ploy being from sarcastic our... with that name, so they're, they're stepping on our turf. <laughs> this is clearly a ploy from our Mirror Universe counterparts. <laughs> oh, my God. It's Azul asking the question. No. Um what was the question again? <laughs> uh, favorite music. Favorite music. Or, right. Like, genres, or, artists. Okay. What kind of music are you All guys right. into? All right. You know Melodica Bros? <laughs> oh, hell yeah. You know how they take so- songs and like switch their genres? That's what I'm into. <laughs> Anything yeah, that's like, weirder than the original. It's like the I've, Sandman song, but it's like really energetic and like peppy. <laughs> I've also been listening to or this Crazy one... Train, but it's Normal Train. <laughs> hold, hold on, actually, I need to rep this channel because I've been listening to this almost nonstop. Uh, okay, Connor Engstrom music, an epic swing metal cover of the Final Countdown. Oh, it's been wow. my like personal soundtrack for the year. You have to listen to this song. It is such a fucking <laughs> banger. I love it. That sounds incredible. If you're interested uh, in yeah. epic metal do... swing version, <laughs> if you're interested in artists who do covers of songs but in different genres, there is a band called Galactic Empire that does metal covers of the Star Wars score, which I highly recommend. Oh, that's cool. Oh, uh, and of course the OGs, Postmodern Jukebox, uh, making yep. everything classy since yep. whenever that <laughs> channel started. I okay, I I keep like. I don't know if anyone else does this. Sometimes when I'm like in a work mode, I'll just like a song will get embedded in my head and I'll be yes. listening to that song over and over again while I'm working on the thing. And then when I'm done, I'm like, oh, I'm free. And then I just don't really listen to the song anymore. Like it's still there and I still like it. But and what happened is uh, when I was when I was starting the comic, the very first page has like a lot of very tiny details and the line art took me a straight week. And in that time, I pretty much exclusively listened to the postmodern jukebox cover of Genie in a Bottle by Christina Aguilera. Uh <laughs> And it's just in my brain now. I just remember drawing all these tiny houses in a setting that was going to be gone in like eight pages. And I was like, why am I doing this? If you want to be with me. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, I, I, what's, what music do I listen to? Whatever thing has possessed me for the week, I guess. <laughs> I, oh, and uh, fucking uh, the tale of Ku Cullen, you know, 
we were, oh, we're both uh, Miracle of Sound. Yes, Miracle yeah. of Sound. Oh, Tale of Kukulin slaps. Celtic folk so metal, good. man. There's <laughs> no beating it. Oh, and sea shanties. Everyone's into sea yes. shanties now, but let the record show, Blue was into them first. That's true. I, I say. I've been into them for years since I played Assassin's Creed 4. Shout out to all the Assassin's Creed 4 kids who knew it was up almost 10 years ago. Uh, I was going to give my answer of, in addition to, like, everyone's on the Wellerman because of TikTok, but um, mm-hmm. the probably the greatest, like, musical beneficiary of the uh, of the shanty talk boom that we're living through right now that we have the, the pleasure of living through right now is mm, the longest johns which is which is a, a group of, of acapella singers who have just bangers only they put in a new album last year uh oh i get it one the of the, the song actually no, the wellerman was from their their last one before then but yeah uh longest johns are great if you want sea shanties and sign and i actually yesterday were listening to uh, Hildegard von Blingen and her yes. exquisite collection of bard core oh, uh, musical yes. rewritings, uh, which has uh, somebody that I used to know, but medieval version, which has the line, yeah. uh, <laughs> Uh, send a wagon for thy minstrel and refuse my letters. <laughs> yep, <laughs> which is just I, so good. I also love her uh, her summertide sorrow. Yeah, that's just yep. she's got such a good voice for that kind of yes. like really haunting delivery. Yeah. So. Yes. Highly recommend. I love how all of our suggestions are just like weird covers of other more normal songs. <laughs> yeah, that's that checks that's out. what we do for a living. We just yeah. take normal things and make them weird and fun. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's on brand. I used yeah, to be into brand. normal rock music, and now I can only listen to epic swing covers of normal rock music. <laughs> this is a trend I've noticed. And then, of course, there's also like for the soundtrack to my work, because I, I, I find it very difficult to... Uh, do work with like lyrical music because it just distracts me. So mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. most of the my my working days, I'm listening to uh, huge playlists of reorchestrated uh, piano covers of Zelda music, which <laughs> yeah. is just so satisfying. I Sometimes... have like a, a ten video playlist. Each one is like an hour or two long. It's great. I can always tell when you've recently scheduled a video because you stay like on the channel account and then I start getting hour-long Zelda compilation <laughs> recommendations. And I'm like, hey, that's different from my normal hour-long Game Grumps compilations and six-hour-long yeah. Critical Role compilations. Yeah. I, I can tell because I see like a Game Grumps video show up like half-watched and I'm like, I haven't watched that video. Ah, fuck, I'm on the OSP account. Yeah. <laughs> I would be remiss if I did not. Um, I listen to a lot of movie score and I feel like I have to bring him up at every possible moment because he does not get enough respect in this world and that is Michael Giacchino who is the composer of our time and I will die on this hill he did Speed Racer every season of Lost and pretty much everything that Disney and Pixar have put out in the last like 10 years so if you're looking for something Giacchino or Giacchino okay I so I've had a lot of discussion about this okay Giacchino yeah because it Giacchino it's it's got that like Italian spelling where you think that the CC is going to be the CH, but then it's got the CCH, so it becomes the CK. It's blue, and I had yeah, to. It, do it, some it's, it's, it's a glottal stop, so it's Giacchino, probably. I don't know. Uh. It might be a dialect. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, no, he's great. He's, he's really great. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend the Speed Racer score specifically, but the rest of his stuff is also fantastic as well. I feel it, like also, I have to rewatch that movie. He's the composer of my favorite Star Wars score, yes, which is Rogue, Rogue One. One. He did a fantastic oh. job adapting like the iconic John Williams score without blatantly doing the John Williams score again. Um, and it, I think I think he is an underrated talent because every time you bring up score, um, people tend to default to Zimmer and Williams, who are great. They're yeah. great, but like... Zimmer is good, yeah. I, I actually just wanted adaptable. to mention, <laughs> listening to like movie soundtracks is interesting. A lot of times mm-hmm. after a movie comes out, I'll like look up the OST and just kind of play it through. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And I've noticed something, which is, I guess, in like modern movies, each individual track is a lot shorter. Mm -hmm. Like when I was looking at the original soundtrack for Star Wars, like there's like an eight and a half minute sequence that's just like the Endor chase or whatever. And it's just like, it's like, it almost sounds random, I guess, because they're syncing it up to a lot of the movement on the screen. And actually, yeah. a lot of soundtracks do that. Uh, when, um, what was it? When Civil War came out, I looked that up. Um, and uh, originally, I was like, I want to use some of these tracks in my videos, but I can't because they, like, find them <laughs> and immediately demonetize the video. And I'm like, I just wanted to use Catastrophe. Sue me. Uh, but <laughs> Please <will>. don't, actually. <laughs> no, um, but, like, I sometimes I'll be listening to it uh, and... It'll be like, wait, what was happening when this happened? Because there's um, it, that track I mentioned, Catastrophe. It's the track that plays when War Machine gets accidentally zapped and falls out of the sky. But the mm. beginning is like this, like, it's almost kind of tinkly. There's like soft strings. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Oh, right. Wanda and Vision are having a mm. moment. And then it all goes to shit. And I was like, ah, I can hear it. I can hear it in the, su yes. in the sound. Yeah. So, like, it's very interesting because, like, there's a lot of uh, a lot of things like especially long running shows will just compose themes for like kinds of scenes like this is the fight scene music this is the this is the like we're running somewhere music this is the soft romantic music moment whereas with movies they write scores for like how a scene plays out so it's like yes. tailored and I think that's very interesting just yes. like listening through that I think the hallmark um, of a good score is that if you're listening to it you should be able to see in your mind where in the movie you are because it's it's different for TV scores obviously they have to do. Um, a lot with a lot less time that typically are reusing mm -hmm. uh, score, but for movies, you know, it's it's this one set thing, and there might be themes throughout all the different tracks, but each track typically syncs to an exact point in the movie, in either a scene or a sequence of scenes. And and so, you know, one of the things that I always I used I used to run a radio show where we <laughs> exclusively played movie score and soundtracks. I'm a little bit of a nerd for this stuff, huh. but uh, <laughs> one of the things that um, you hear a lot in movies with really iconic scores is not just like one iconic theme but people really associate scenes with that score so like obviously it gets memed on a lot but in the star wars prequels there's duel of the fates when you oh, hear duel of the fates you see that scene in your mind like those two things are intrinsically yeah. linked yeah. even if you know like the movie itself might be panned or the, the score has a life outside of the movie but um, I think that's kind of the homework of like that is a piece of score that is functioning both as it needs to in the film and incredibly well in its life afterwards and just as a piece of music and as a movement of music. Um, yeah, I, oh, I, I think another another version of that is the considerations that need to go into composing uh, music for a video game, because not only mm -hmm. are you trying to, mm -hmm. in some cases, specifically fit a, you know, a cutscene or a story beat, but you're trying to compose a piece that can allow the player to operate in a space basically indefinitely, and then as soon as something happens, switch over to the, the, the part of the, the cue, the part of the track that is is like timed to the thing. So I, you know, I'm going to say it, Austin Wintory, a master of this, <laughs> and he is yes. one of many great video game composers, but he stands out in part because the games that he works on that he's most known for he's he does a lot of games that you know i've never played and never seen um but the ones that stand out journey absolute pathless um assassin's creed uh, syndicate uh, are games that place the music so much in the front that you really get to like work with it and appreciate it that it's given as much like screen time as like a duel of the fates kind of thing mm. um but i i it, wanted to mention it, it works really well and does a good job of it yeah but uh, the Shadow of the Colossus soundtrack, like, you, you can look oh, up the yeah. whole thing on YouTube, and it's so good. Like, every track, it, 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 like, loops easily, and a lot of people have posted edited extended editions that are just, like, the track, but, like, slightly stretch it out, and it works really well. Um, 
But that, that game, like, because it's kind of meditative and most of the time it's pretty neutral, but then like you meet a Colossus and each <laughs> Colossus has their own theme and it's so good. But also the music changes after you like hit their weak point for the yeah. first time. Cause then the game is like, you figured it out. Now go, go, go. <laughs> and it's just, it's good. It's brilliant. Cause that tells you like, oh shit, we're really in it now. Like that's good game design. That's two for this episode. You've You're stolen welcome. it from me twice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now you see there is nothing you have that I cannot take away. Uh. Uh, on that it's note, perfect. we it's are so coming up on time for this episode, which Oops. is uh, bad pod design on my part. But we <laughs> we are we are gonna have to wrap it up for today, Red. If you want to take us on out, ah, right. I had this sucker loaded up, and then for some reason I got we rid had of a it. conversation okay. about <clears throat> this at the top of the show. We sure did. Oh, and now it's scrolling me around randomly. What's happening? Okay, here we go. <clears throat> no, wait. Spoke too soon. There we go. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. And if you want more of that sweet, sweet OSP content, go check out our channel on YouTube. If you want to ask a question for the next pod, follow the link in the description to the Ask OS Pod channel on Discord for a chance for your question to be featured on air. Until next time, I've been Red. I've been Blue. And this has been an Overly Sarcastic Podcast. Indigo here to thank you for listening to yet another entry into the OS Pod Cinematic Universe. We'll be back on February 3rd with even more inadvertent dog content. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate us and leave a review on your podcast platform of choice to help even more folks find their way to our beacon of insanity. And if you really like the show, consider becoming a patron. If you've got a question for the pod, be sure to check out the Ask OS Pod channel on Discord and head over to Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube for even more content. Links to all of this and more can be found in the show notes below. Stay safe, and we'll catch you all on the next episode.